Hey friends, welcome to episode 17 of Something Borrowed with me, Harry Baker, World Poetry Slam champion and 6 out of 10 portrait artist. I'm so excited to be back with you. This week's guest is Holly McNeish, one of my favourite poets and people. So grateful to have her join us on the podcast. She joined from the very off, which is always more exciting. Um, There's some lovely chat, there's some lovely poems, including something about jellyfish, something about chocolate something about hotel toiletries a brand new one from me that i'm very happy with and just a nice time um holly is absolutely brilliant i will be back with you at the end but for now i'll drop it in as she joins the chat and i hope you enjoy something borrowed by harry baker to all of my friends who are watching right now thank you so much for being here i'm in a good mood and you can't guarantee that these days it's holly <laughs> Hey. Hi. How Hi, are you? Yeah. yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Really thanks good. For doing this. Thanks for being here. That's all right. It's lovely to see you. See your face yes. again. Come on. I've been doing this sort of most weeks and I just get really excited to see like people that I know and have someone <laughs> to talk to. So. Sure, we'll do some poems, but also thank you for, for just being my friend. <laughs> That's all right. I was doing them on my own, which is much more selfish. So this seems a lot nicer, really. Hooray. I was just doing gigs and then sat afterwards, realising I was just on my own in my living room, just having a glass of wine by myself. I mean, I've done that as well. But at least this way you have one other person sort of as an audience. So it then just becomes really a little bit intense if I'm just doing poems at you. But hopefully that's all right. <laughs> that's fine. You just... You just obviously have to like smile through my poems, do you? Yeah, yeah. You have to, yeah, make sure you're doing the right face at different parts. Yeah, which it shouldn't be too hard. I normally do, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try extra hard. <laughs> I'll start with something old and then we'll just like take it in turns if that's all right. This is the first poem I've got like a record of. Well, I want to ask you this in a minute, but you've got lots of old poems from when you were younger. So this is my first ever poem it's when I was 13 and it was for a competition that my school had run by Divine Fairtrade Chocolate and the topic Mm -hmm. was a vision for the future Uh so my vision for the future was that everyone would have loads of chocolate and I think I just sort of discovered the concept of rhyme and I don't know (laughs) how much it's developed since then but this is my poem about the future which is now so we'll see if it's come true the urge is too hard to fight just want one more bite don't need to be polite there's dark milk or white it's an airy and light an elegant delight made to excite it feels so right there's no red light i could go on all night in fact i might with no feeling contrite definitely didn't know what that meant because it's fair trade, I know the farmer's been paid, I know its finest grade deserves an accolade, I know this is why I've prayed, why I've stayed, inequality's been slayed, no need for aid, no more being afraid, fear of being betrayed, livelihood depending on a spade, on the edge of a knife blade, such an escapade, that has changed now it's fair, cocoa farmers are aware, what's happening over there, they don't need to care, about being sold out by a multi-millionaire, they wouldn't dare, they're too scared, it used to be rare, like a panda bear, for people to share. Now it's happening everywhere. In the market square, feel the goodness in the air. It's the answer to a prayer. Oh yeah, 
Fair Trade is here. Oh my God. So tackling sort of powerful <laughs> issues from a young age. <laughs> and I won a, a prize, which was like a box of chocolate. So I think as a like teenager, I thought poetry is the way to, to get chocolate and, and be forever <laughs> rewarded. But to be fair, in lockdown, I got a few free bottles of wine. Come on. So. <laughs> I was going to say, when I was little, the only, the only sort of prize that I won was like a Monster Munch competition. But that was just for eating 200 packets of Monster Munch and sending off the tokens. So it wasn't as... How long did it take you to eat 200 packets of Monster Munch? I, I don't really remember, but I just remember getting like the highest prize of it was like bike spokes and stuff that were all shaped like monster lunch, but you had to send off the token. So I must have taken quite a long time, That's to be honest. Amazing. But I got the big one. I still got some of them because there was too many to fit on my bike. But yeah, it was, it was good. So I can imagine that would have been very exciting. <laughs> the first poetry slam I ever won, I came joint first with Mark Christ, and the prize was a packet of monster munch that we had to share. So oh, it's, it's been a liked, part of everyone's journey. You know? <laughs> I would have liked that one a lot. Also, your last line didn't rhyme. There was so much rhyme in that, but then your last line didn't rhyme. Was that on purpose? Do you remember? I want to say yes. <laughs> Just leading people on a journey, shocking them out of it. But I cannot confirm or deny that. I think I just ran out of words. Um, yeah, for doing something odd. All right, something odd. So... I've got loads of poems that I wrote when I was a kid, but at the moment, I'm not at home. I'm in Scotland, Mm -hmm. which is like home, but it's not the home that's got all my poetry books there. And the the first poem I ever wrote, I think it was called My Dad is a Twat. Um, But I haven't got it with me, but that's the first line of it. But I thought I'd do this poem, so it's from this book, which is one of the first books, and it's called Voice. I thought I'd do a little Scottish-ish theme. So this is a poem about the fact that apparently I used to have a slight Scottish accent but before I started primary school and then it went, obviously. Um, but I sort of don't like being an English person that sort of wants to be Scottish anymore. So I don't really like this poem. So I thought I'd do something old, which I'm like, a bit like that now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's called Voice. I lost my voice when I was six. Nicked at school by English kids. My ones and twos and threes and fours, not exotic anymore. Red hair didn't bring it back. Dye bottles searched and emptied out. Trips to Gran's house found some bits, but nothing big to brag about. Dad's iron brew downed. Tunnock's wafers chewed for better gums. Potato scones buttered hot in the hope that it would come. Campsies clung in muddied feet. Sodden heather weather dreech. Mum's ass dived down from the peak. Dobby's lunchtime treats. A bit of tablet with your cup of tea from sugar tea. Still, the accent wouldn't stick. I lost my voice when I was six. All I'm left with now are Scottish crumbs. A few wee words to wet my tongue. Dissolved in Thatcham's fields and Newbury's friends. Sometimes, in my head, I still sound like them. Mum and Dad. I lost my voice when I was six. I'd love to have it back. Mm, amazing but I'm over it now I'm over it <laughs> I wasn't born in Scotland I wasn't brought up in Scotland so I'm over it <laughs> but you're there now 
So that's I'm there now, and I'm there all the time. To be fair, so yeah. Come on. Um, <laughs> how long have you got records of poems from? How how old were you when you wrote My Dad's a Twat? So um, that is aged age eight on the top of it. Wow. So um, yeah, my mum sent it to me when I was at university. She said she was looking through old stuff and she found this and she thought I'd had a nice childhood, but she realised I obviously hadn't. And it just it was just a rhyming poem in couplets each couplet just dissing another member of my family basically <laughs> yeah it was because my dad wouldn't let me have a cat so he was an ugly old twat that was the genius. it writes itself yeah that's amazing <laughs> you have just finished a new book is that right yeah i'm just i've got like three more days left to Come on. Final, final, final edits. I did sort of a final edit last week and then I've had it back with sort of final, final edits. And then I've got um, it go into a poetry editor for like the final, final, final poetry edits. And then, yeah, and then it'll be out in a year. Everything is back now. So yep. I'm sort of, <laughs> sort of annoying. Like it's done. It's finished. Yep. Amazing. Because your last book, Plum? Yeah had sort of poems from you wrote when you were a child and older and sort of yeah combined. I just thought it would be funny I had like loads of stuff that I've never shared but some of the basically of when I was writing it I realized that one poem I'd written about um it was actually about being told I was sort of going to go to hell by our local vicar who I realize is not he's not representative of vicars in general sure. he wasn't that nice a person I don't think um and I'd written one about that and then I found one that I'd actually written about it at the time from when I was like 10 um about being told I'd go to hell if I didn't um eat the bread and drink drink the wine if I didn't eat the bread if I did eat the bread and I didn't believe and I'd go to hell and I was like Oof. so I found that one and then I realized there was quite a few poems that I'd written on the same subject matter looking back and then I found ones I'd actually written at the time because I realised this with this new poem I've written is that I've sort of written it before in a few versions. And I think, you know, there's just certain themes. It's not enough one about chocolate, sadly. <laughs> but I think like when I very first started like writing, it was, all, you know, as a teenager, it was very earnest. But it was about believing in yourself and that kind of stuff. And actually, I listened back to like an old rap that I made and I still sort of feel that way and think that and I think it's quite nice to be hopeful and to not have that like yeah. beaten out of you by the world so this is my latest version of like trying to not let other people shrink you um and it's called unashamed and I'm going to try and remember it but if I don't I'll just pretend it's the connection and not that I, like, <laughs> forgot my I don't remember any of my poems so you'll look better ever it's not your job to make other people feel comfortable. You need not dull your glow in the hope they might see. You need not water down your core to be more palatable. May you be the you that you need you to be, unashamed. We cannot help how others see us, though we may well try our hardest. How we see ourselves can free ourselves to be ourselves regardless. Home is where you can be open-hearted. Whether trapped or trapeze artist all comes down to how we're harnessed. I'm trying to free my roots, 
like playing past the parcel pack with parsnips when the music stops and no one's watching will you keep on dancing let us decorate and garnish any reputations tarnished because despite it all i still fancy our chances let us not file away our edges in an effort to be smooth when the records show the dents of how we get into the groove all that energy invested in the editing of you i hope one day you'll let it loose and let me be there when you do because in the moment when your guard slipped for a second or two i could have sworn i caught a glimpse and i saw heaven in you unashamed the only time i'll care if you've lost weight is shedding expectations unless you're senator or garner there's no point adopting layers when the heart of you's the part of you that's blazing and others may have tried to hide your light you may have joined in this yourself but joy of joys the joy of joy is it will not be overwhelmed you could be static or your static cause lightning storms whether it's lions or it's iron or your core contains all types of raw that friction that you feel is an igniting force so like that torch if we can't see it in ourselves then what is brightness for we do those closest to us a disservice if we only ever let them see the small of us if we can open up enough to let them get beneath the surface there's so much more to love if we can show them all of us the flaws in us the force in us the full on awe of us the rise and fall in us the wise and fall in us yes all of us the fine and coarse of us the fine print in the claws of us the fire imprinted in the blood cells as they course in us yes all of us the slightly awkward us the mouth goes dry when i try talking us the not sure why but tonight i'm on form of us it's all in us regrets that haunted us the lessons taught to us the tight rope life kept taught for us the mornings that seemed daunting till it dawns on us that there is more adored in us than simply what's adorning us the times others have thought of us the times they fought for us because if anyone's worth fighting for of course it's us it's always us the long and short of us the not so short of us it's not an either or it's all of the above and more in us and call it what you want there's something calling us and sure enough i've caught enough of you to know that you're enough so any boxes they may try and stop you with instead of building up a fort let's make a rocket ship take off with it you do not owe this to me you don't even owe it to you but if you want it then deep down i hope you know it to be true you are amazing and if anybody dares to try to rain on your parade let it remind you how much fun it is to party when it's raining may you take up space and stay there unashamed Hello. this shit always happens when i do gigs with you doesn't it whether it's live or whether it's uh, online that you do beautiful uplifting poems and then i come on and do a poem about like fingering or <laughs> I think because it's you, I was really happy that I'd actually like finished a new one. I was happy with, <laughs> so I, I wanted to show off to you and hope that you liked it. <laughs> also, oh, you're so lovely, Harry. One thing I want to ask you. Yes. What's the parsnips in the past the parcel? I would love to do that as a mum. I would love to put a parsnip in a past the parcel now. And I think I might do it, but I don't think it will be the jo as joyful as your poem. I think I have like children crying on me. Um, try. It. I mean, it's not dissimilar to the thought process of the chocolate poem about the time <laughs> thinking what rhymes. I think oh, I should get parsnips in there. And then I thought, can I make 
parsnips are sort of elaborate metaphor because it's a root vegetable and you're kind of <laughs> unwrapping your roots in a way. Nice. But oh, Kate Morton in the comments says, my mum puts radishes in the layers of pasta parcel as yeah. a like prank. That's a sort of pressure though to not have sweets and stuff like that. I tried to make my daughter take cherries to school on her birthday to hand out rather than sweets, but she was like, never make me do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so I've stopped it. <laughs> that was really good. Okay, so my new one is not as beautiful, but I wanted to do it today as a, another sort of Scotland one because it's about my gran and both of my grandma, everyone really in my family was is Scottish. Um, but this is about my grandma, and she always sort of taught me to you know get as many like freebies as possible so my family likes the freebies and um, and I wrote it after saying to somebody at a gig that I hadn't bought a tea bag for I think it was a few months when I was on tour because I just sort of stolen as many as possible from like the hotel rooms and breakfast rooms and I was all sort of excited about this and she told me that that was really bad for the environment and that the more people like steal stuff from hotels the more of those little plastic bottles and like packaged tea bags that they have to replace which is obviously true so I've stopped doing it now but I really feel like at odds with my grandma and I said I said to my mum that I'd done this poem about how my grandma's like on that line of theft like never not actual theft but just getting as much free stuff as possible and my mum told me last week that actually my grandma used to go to hotels and pretend that she was going for afternoon tea, get the lift up and literally just walk up and down the corridors actually nicking the stuff. So I thought she didn't actually steal stuff. <laughs> so this room is, yeah, not, not, <laughs> not far enough now. So I might have to redo it. But yeah, this is my, this is my new one. And it's called... The day I stopped nicking tea bags from hotels, or oh, grandma, please forgive me. This is your fault, grandma, that I'm like this. I cannot leave the tiny shampoo bottle in the hotel shower, which I do not need to take. I do not need to take it. It will just sit in my bathroom covered unused for years, but I cannot leave it. Or the shower gel, or the body lotion. I don't even use body lotion. I've never used body lotion. This is your fault, grandma. I cannot leave the tea bags in the basket for the next guest. I cannot leave the biscuits in the packets in the basket for the next guest. This is your fault. I cannot leave the alcohol in the glasses or the barrels or the bottles or all you can drink parties that you pay set fees in advance for. This is your fault. That night, I ended up in a car park in a tutu thinking the car park was my bedroom because I had to get my money's worth. You have to get your money's worth or all you can drink pay in advance parties that are only five pounds to get into anyway. Don't worry, grandma. I wasn't hurt. My friend found me. We walked home. It was fine. But Grandma, remember, you used to order 20 packs of sugars with your tea on the train down from Glasgow just so you could steal the packs of sugars with the excuse that they would have thrown them away anyway after being on your saucer. You never even ordered tea. Just a mug of hot water and 20 packs of sugars slipped a tea bag from your handbag so you didn't have to pay the full price for a cup of tea on the train today. I left a hotel room for the first time in my life without taking a single tea bag, not one. I do not need the tea bag, Holly. You do not need the tea bag, Holly. The war is over. But now I'm on the train back home, staring out the window, and I can feel you on my shoulder looking down on me, disgusted, frowning at the loss. 
what has happened to this family? What has happened to your grandchildren? Whispering traitor, whispering traitor, whispering traitor. Oh, come on. Amazing, thank you. <laughs> I, I feel your pain. I... <laughs> the other thing I have is like sometimes doing a gig, like I've been put up in a really nice hotel that I wouldn't normally like choose to stay in. And again, wanted to get your money's worth. But then the really weird thing of like, basically asking people if stuff is free before you like take it, because I don't want to pay 12 pounds for a tiny croissant. But if it is free, I will absolutely have as much as I can. I don't ask anymore. My family's trained me. I'm very like, if I go touring, I never ever take like lunch or anything like that. I just am very good at making the breakfast. I take my Tupperware box and I just fill it at the breakfast table and just leave and my daughter gets so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I went to this festival where you got given breakfast vouchers and evening meal vouchers. And so I was just so obviously not going to pay for lunch because I was trying to make my like buffet of <laughs> little bits of bread last. Oh, that's so, really nice. Yeah. yeah. So it is like getting the chocolate. It is like your chocolate poem while you started writing poetry. <laughs> Yeah. You get free chocolate and now you're just taking as much stuff from hotels as possible. Exactly. Only chain hotels I only do it in, I've got to say that. If it's a little That's piece nice. I don't do it. Travel lodge, I'll take everything. <laughs> Something borrowed. Oh yeah. This is my favourite one, partly because I've been doing this a lot and I'm running out of my own poems, but I'll never run out of other people's. <laughs> um, and this is one that a friend sent me that someone had sent them that they said reminded them of one of my poems and then I realised that I had read this as a child and it's probably informed a lot of my stuff or I might have even just stolen from it but it's by Marianne Williamson and it's called Our Deepest Fear and it's yeah I think I've just been thinking a lot about well at the moment I can't do like proper gigs but I am just writing and then thinking about why I love writing and what I want to write about and this is the sort of thing that keeps coming up I guess like this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Very nice. And you've also done it again, because my borrowed poem is about jellyfish. Yes, come on. <laughs> I, I never knew that that was a poem. I've heard the first two lines, that quote. Yeah. Maybe it's in a film or something, or I've, I've never knew it was from a poem. So that is pretty exciting. I thought I was going to know the whole thing when you started reading it. I think Nelson Mandela might have quoted it in a sort of much more known context. I don't know. Nice. Who's, it, who's that by? Marianne Williamson. Nice. And is it like the old, old poem? Um, I'm just sorry. Don't worry. I wish I knew. Yeah. 
what counts as old old? I don't know. My, my daughter says like in the old days for like when I was about twenty. <laughs> well, actually, when I had to look up the chocolate poem, and the only place where it exists is on a blog that I had when I was twelve or thirteen years old, and so alongside it is me like giving my top 10 albums of 2006 oh. and telling people that I've just discovered this thing called podcasting and one day it's going to be big. And, oh my God. Who and also... younger you are than me, Harry. When I was 12, I don't think there was any such thing as the internet or computers or cars. So... <laughs> there we go. That's slightly different. You were fucking blogging at 12. I was... <laughs> Writing on bits of stone with chalk. <laughs> um, I'm excited you've got a pun about jellyfish, though. So your book, Nobody Told Me, is just, like, is amazing. But also I get so excited when I have friends who are pregnant, partly because it's exciting, but also because I then feel like I get to give them your book. And we've got neighbours two door down who are watching this and gave them your book. And they're, they're big fans, but also oh. real phobia of jellyfish. So oh, really? We go swimming together, and the thought of jellyfish in the pool is a troubling one. So I'm excited to know if this poem is going to tip it one way or the other. No, it's in a sort of ode to jellyfish. Also, yes. thanks for sending that book and for them for reading it. That's really lovely. No, this, I wanted to do this because actually one of the best things that happened when I was doing a gig was that I'd taken my daughter to a gig and I was all flustered because I had to take her and I didn't know if she'd have time to do her homework for school and it was sort of running, it was in Devon, so it was like a four-hour drive. Um, and then she told me her homework was to like find something from the seashore or something like that, even though we don't live close to it and we were going to Devon and we went to the sea. So it was like everything worked out very well. Um and we went into the sea to swim, it must have been in summer, and um, it was just full of jellyfish, like the whole sea was just like you were literally trying to sort of push them out the way. But, but loads of people were swimming and there was a lifeguard person there and they said that they were like non-stingy jellyfish. So we just swam in this jellyfish and then my daughter was trying to like take one and then got upset when I told her that she couldn't take one home. <laughs> but this... Um, so yeah, I love, oh God, I love jellyfish. Um, this poem is called The Moon Jellyfish and it's by Roseanne Watt. And it's from this book called Moda Dai, which means mother wave in Shetland. So it's, it's really cool. I like poems when it's written in different languages and it's sort of got loads of poems that are written in Shetland and then they're translated into um, oh. English as well. So it's really nice and she's a brilliant young poet. So I thought I would read this one called The Moon Jellyfish. I hope it cures your phobia of jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of about death as well, so maybe it won't, <laughs> to be honest. I don't, I don't know if it'll be that much of a positive effect. The Moon Jellyfish. We find them melting by the shore mull, like dropped scoops of translucent ice cream. The same morning of the old fisherman's funeral at the chapel by our beach. We'd seen the coffin going past in a parade as slow as shadows cast by summer clouds into the churchyard where blind headstones watched us playing daily with the waves. The beach is filled with dead things except the jellyfish. We know they are immortal. 
So when storms bring them to the shore, it is the saddest sight. At least that's what the fishermen said. We want to save the jellyfish. They ooze between our fingers as we wade out to the shallows, toss each into the softly crooning waves. Some have purple crescent moons inside them. We think they are the girls. We do not know the jellyfish as folklore, a myth we're offering the tide to be rejected, for the dead will continue being dead. No, we know only the morning deepening in the spaces between pebbles and the jellyfish returning dreamlike to shore. Hmm. So good. That's this is so such lovely. a good book. It's so good and it teaches you loads about the language and about Shetland, basically. It's very nice, lovely. Amazing, thank you. Um for something blue, again, I've done enough of these that it's become quite abstract. But what <laughs> what I wanted to do, because you said blue might be sad or might be sweary, I wanted yeah. to try and find the group poem that we tried to write with Vanessa where we were just going to talk about body parts that we liked (laughs) (laughs) and out of that I have got a poem about how great my knees are that I've already done in one of these but like in the drafts I'm just talking about like my thighs and my oh I wish I had my poem about my shoulders but I don't have that I don't so but that's like in the heavy drafts folder that may or may not ever be seen again but one I have got thinking about all of all of the sort of accepting yourself journey that I've been on is um I uh lived in Germany for a year and that was just the most amazing experience of basically just getting to start again with your personality I saw your video the German oh, video. The, hey, that was very great yeah that's my favorite thing I've done in lockdown <laughs> I thought it might be <laughs> but it but that was because I was writing more and more like earnest, reflective things and then just wanted to have loads of fun. Yeah. And then I think I've got that out of my system and I've started being like nice and hopeful again. But <laughs> the, I'm hopefully going to do more stuff about Germany because I think it was such an amazing experience. Um, and this is about uh, a friend I made there, Dominika, and she is Polish. So it's linked to something blue because the North and South Pole are cold, and that might make you blue, because blue is cold colour. So, pole... Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this is called Dominica. In our Erasmus crew, there are two Dominicas. One is Slovakian. To get an idea of her social standing, she created the WhatsApp group that to this day people still chat in. The other is from Poland, and so she becomes known as Polish Dominika, because that's how these things go. It could be worse. In my university halls, I was one of two Harrys, and at some point or other, the other one became known as Cool Harry. I mean, poetry and mathematics versus slacklining and acid, I know what you're thinking, we're all just as surprised as you, Harry. And Polish Dominika is amazing. She refuses to speak English to me in case she makes mistakes. I refuse to speak Polish to her because I don't know any Polish. So our friendship germinates in this third German space. We speak in words that neither of us own. It feels like we have learnt a secret code. All we can do is model through and hope that one day it begins to feel like home. We are both visitors here. 
treating every sentence with a mixture of respect and pure wonder, grateful for anything we get beyond the minimum here. There is a certain type of freedom from embracing your restrictions. When we break out from other tongues, we feel unlimited here. What our conversations lack in grammatical correctness, they make up for in the fact that every word has taken effort. Like when an animation's packed with that much work into each second, you have to make sure that your story is worth telling. These extensions of ourselves, so clunky and unrefined, so somehow find a way that they can tessellate. The bones of what is formed are somewhat of another kind, the kind we have neither the means nor need to decorate. Because we don't possess the vocab to beat around the bush, we start off a lot more honest than we plan to be. When our friendship is cemented by that sunrise at the fish market, there's only so much language that you need. We have not shrunk ourselves to step into the other's world. We've both decided we would enter somewhere new. By the end of it, I just know her as Dominica. And by the end of it, she even says, I'm cool. Ah, that's so lovely, Harry. I think more poems need to be written about that, about languages, about that kind of thing. That's really, really, really nice. And the idea of, what was the line about making an effort? I love that. Like, it's so nice because every, every like, word has been an effort. Yeah. I love that about speaking in other languages. Yeah. I find it really boring to, like, just go and do my shopping in English because English is really easy yeah. now to talk. And it's just if you live somewhere else everything's exciting yeah. and a bit scary sometimes yeah. but that's really nice yeah I'm, I want to do more stuff in well I'm trying to do more stuff in other languages and like to translations and stuff because yeah. that's really lovely isn't it really that's yeah. yeah oh that brings back loads of memories of having flatmates that were Spanish and like uh, the only thing we spoke in was French because yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's really nice mm, you're missing traveling <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just tried to show my germany five years later but <laughs> don't read into it <laughs> that was really really nice don't have a complex about the cool thing you obviously are cool what's he doing now anyway who knows he almost came to germany as well and i was so afraid of it that there'd only be two of us from like <laughs> England and we'd both be Harry and he'd be the cool one again but instead he went to Russia and came back and said that he'd high-fived a bear so that's not as good that's fine yeah. that's a good thing about being called Holly there's not often many of them not none but not many all right I, I was trying to decide what to do for the blue um and mine's about like 10 seconds long yes so I could do two or I could do one 10 second long can you do two you can you can decide, but that's not really <laughs> a thing, is it? Because if you're like, just do the one, then <laughs> you look really rude. <laughs> All right, so I thought of blue, and I thought of like blue movies straight away more. Yeah. I thought of sadness, and I thought I don't really want to do a sad poem. Um, and I thought of blue movies, but at the moment, the like book that I'm writing is more about how a bit fucked up we are about sex sexuality and stuff and a lot of the crap we tell well especially girls I know about I don't know so much about boys um so this is sort of things that I was told was blue but actually aren't I don't know if that makes sense yeah so this is this is a very short poem called arguing in the headmaster's office and it's about the only thing that I was ever told off for at school which was my skirt being too short um and it used to really piss me off that I was told that this was like a bad thing to show like this 
that part of my leg as if that was like the devil's work, you know, my, my leg, <laughs> my thigh. So yeah, arguing in the headmaster's office. He said, my skirt was distracting the lads. Roll it down, legal length, below knees like a nun. I said, some of the boys have their trousers so tight, I can see the outline of their dicks, sir. I still managed to get on with my work. And that's it. It's very short. Um, and then I think I'll finish on this one, actually. The other one's, yeah, yeah. This is called The Morning After Losing My Virginity, which is another phrase that I absolutely hate. And it's made into, like, more of a sexual thing than I think it ever should be. And it's always just that one type of virginity loss. Um, yeah. And I was thinking in terms of that, in that sort of idea, then lesbians have, like, never lost their virginity, which is a totally ridiculous idea. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, this is The Morning After Losing My Virginity. I stared into the bathroom mirror, searching for the change. I counted all my freckles, every one of them in place. Counted every hair, every eyelash, every brow. Five knuckles on each hand still, 31 teeth in my mouth. Cut open my flesh, counted seven layers deep. For a minute, held my heart, counted 80 solid beats. Lips still as red as blood, I spat into the sink. Walked into the world again, I hadn't lost a thing. Mm -hmm. That's it. Thanks so much. Not really sexy, uh, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's just about <laughs> The wonderful Holly McNeish. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, there will be links in the bio of this podcast for all sorts of things, including the books mentioned of Holly's. Uh, make sure you follow her on Instagram, all of those good things. She's constantly posting brilliant stuff. If you would like to donate to the podcast, there is a link to my Ko-fi page. Obviously at the moment we can't do gigs. This is the next best thing. Um, I hope you did enjoy this. I'll be back next week. We've got Katie Ailes and we've got some brilliant poets lined up. So hoping to carry this on as a weekly thing for the next bit of time at least. Uh, please do get in touch if you enjoy the podcast. There's obviously no live audience, so it's hard to know, but this one especially I really love doing. So I hope you did as well and i will see you next week look after yourselves lots of love bye something borrowed by harry baker to all of my friends who are watching right now thank you so much for being here i'm in a good mood and you can't guarantee